You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good to be with you all here on this wonderful fall day. Yeah, I got to wear the long sleeves today. That was nice. I did not properly adjust the blankets last night, so my feet were outside and cold half the evening, and so that kept waking me up along with the cat. I decided, this is time to sleep on top of you. So, fun things with fall. Um, we are continuing on our Genesis series. We're looking at foundations, the foundations biblically and the foundations for us as Christians. And so as we walk through this, we're um, dealing with some actually a lot more difficult things than I anticipated, but that's good. These are the things, we don't want to shy away from them. Uh, in Genesis 1, we saw that God is in control. He has created an ordered world for you and for your life, and that he sees you. In Genesis 2, we saw that how God had set up the foundations of society, and within Genesis 3, we saw the emphasis on the need for self-control and faithfulness before the Lord in order to walk with God. We have to be able to exercise these two things in our lives. And then we, we come to Genesis 4, which is super depressing. Um, in case you haven't read Genesis 4 yet, it's the story of Cain and Abel. And there's no way to sugarcoat this. It's not a happy story. Um, but there are some good things for us to learn from the Lord through it. And so really, the, the heart of this story, what I hope you walk away with today, is this idea of exaltation. Who are you going to exalt in your life? Who are you going to serve every single day? Are you going to serve yourself, your desires, your wishes, your preferences, or are you going to exalt the Lord? And are you going to lay aside what you want and humble yourself before God? Out of Luke 14, 11, it says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And we've got to keep in mind, the things that God does, he does way better than we do. So if you want to exalt yourself, he will humble you way better than you humble yourself. <laughs> and if you humble yourself, he will exalt you far more than you could ever exalt yourself. Something we need to keep close in mind as we walk through each and every day in fear and admonition of the Lord. So beginning in Genesis 4 verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. We're going to have to do a little bit of background here, a little bit of priming to understand what's to come next. In Hebrew culture, the name you give are given or that you give is extremely significant. It defines you or what you are expected to become. Adam's name is mankind. That's his name. He is expected to embody mankind. It's a tall order. Eve's name means life because she is the mother of all living. It's a tall order. And then they have Cain. What do they name him? I have acquired. 
God promised us redemption. He said, my offspring would come, the skull-crushing redeemer seed, and I have acquired him with the help of the Lord. That's his name. And then they have Abel. You know what Abel's name means? The word is habel. You hear it a bunch of times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, oh vanity. His name is vapor, breath, vanity, meaningless. This is Abel's name. And his brother, I have acquired the promise, the golden child, my firstborn son. And your brother. Not really much meaning to you, but God gave, us to, gave you to us, so... All right. Parents, you can screw up your kids with the expectations you put on them in comparison to their siblings. And the way you walk them through that in their lives and how you can set them as opposed to each other without sometimes even meaning it, and maybe even you do, and you want them, ah, good healthy competition in the home. We're going to see how this plays out here. But imagine that. Just imagine for a moment. These are your names. These are your parents. You know what's happened. And they raise you this way. Imagine being Cain every day. You're the promised one. Growing up with that. The weight of that on you. Or the converse of that. The crown of that on you. I'm the promised one, Abel. You're the plus one. You are just my brother, but you really have no value. How did they grow up together? Because they, they grew up. They were children. They were teenagers, and then they became adults. There's a lot that goes between this line and the next that's not spoken of here, but we can imagine, we can consider and go, wow, Perhaps what comes next, there was some more reason for that than we first blush look at it. Now, Cain, he's a worker of the ground. It's an honorable profession. It's right out of Genesis 2, verse 15. It's what Adam was called to do, till the soil. He's doing his dad's job. He's doing a good, honorable profession before the Lord. And there's an honorable way to worship God within it and to return an offering to him. We actually see out of Exodus 23, verse 19, the first half of that, it says, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Because there's been some contention about what's to happen here and why Cain isn't going to be accepted and Abel is. And why is that? Is he just not bring the right stuff? No, the first, they're expected to bring the first fruits of the ground and the grain and the produce and everything. You're expected to bring the best of it, the first fruits of it and the best of those first fruits you are expected to bring before the Lord. It's an honorable way to go about worshiping God. And you have Abel. He's a keeper of the sheep. He doesn't get his dad's job. But it is still an honorable profession of the Lord. Laid out between Genesis 1 verse 28. They're supposed to have dominion over the livestock. They're supposed to be doing this. He's doing a good and honorable thing. And yet again with this, there is a way to worship God within that. It's actually a lot more specific than just the first fruits of the ground. That's a little bit easier to see. It's like, well, this is the best tomato, so I'm going to bring that one. 
No, when you bring something of the livestock, it's got to be without spot or blemish. It has to be of the firstborn, and you need to bring all of the fat upon it, very specifically, around these particular body parts of this livestock. And that's all written there out of Leviticus 3, 7 through 10 in your notes. And this is what you have to bring before God in order to be an honorable and worthy sacrifice before the Lord. So there's a way to do this. There's nothing, there's no, they were set up for failure in this category. But then we read on. And it says, in the course of time, no idea what that is and no hint to what it might mean. It's somewhere between zero and 130 years. I only know that because Seth is born after 130 years between Adam being created and Seth being born is 130 years. Somewhere in that time. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So there's that question. Why did the Lord have no regard for Cain's offering, because by all accounts, it looks like, just the first reading, that they both did what they were supposed to do. But when we read, it has some specifics for what Abel brought that are not accounted for Cain. Abel made sure to bring of the firstborn, and he made sure to bring the fat offerings. He made sure to do exactly what God desired for this. Remember, Abel Abel's name is meaningless, and that's probably how he's been looked at most of his life. So he can't find his value in humanity. Abel only finds his value in the Lord. And he's righteous before God in honoring what God desires. It actually says this out of Hebrews 11.4, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He defined himself by how God saw him. And he put his faith in the Lord. He didn't put his faith in himself. He didn't put his faith in his family. He put his faith in God. And Cain didn't. When we read about Cain out of 1 John 3, verse 12, it says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Meaning he came before the Lord in an evil way. I think that's something we don't always realize, that you can do all the things and not be serving God. We actually read this right out of Matthew 7, verse beginning in verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. You can be doing all the things 
and have it amount to nothing if there is no relationship before God, if you are not humbled before God, if you are not seeking God in this, if it's for your glory, for your exaltation, because I want to feel good about doing good. Depart from me. I never knew you. Cain just brought an offering. He was just going through the motions. He just, this is what we're supposed to do, so I'm going to do it. But he did not bring the choice things. He did not bring the first fruits. He did not bring the best because his faith wasn't in God. His faith was in himself. I'm going to keep the best for myself. I'm the chosen one. I need the best. His deeds were evil where Abel's were righteous. And Cain was very angry. I consider, why was he so angry? He knew what he did. He knew what he had done was wrong. But why is he angry? This is actually going to be a similar story repeated throughout the scriptures of an elder sibling being angry at the younger sibling, taking the perceived blessing that belonged to them. This is actually repeated time and time again because the elder sibling isn't behaving in the way that they should. There is one instance when the younger sibling was just a jerk and stole it. <laughs> but the majority of the time, that younger sibling is blessed in such a way, is honored in such a way, that the elder sibling becomes jealous of that. And if it wasn't for you, oh worthless one, I would have what's due to me. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Something was really intriguing to me when we read through this. They're still in God's presence. They have been banished from the garden, but they still get to go before God. They know in a very tangible way whether the sacrifice is accepted or not. And God is speaking to Cain. They have a dialogue, a back and forth. They are still in the presence of the Lord. They still haven't been cast out and there's still problems. But there's still opportunity for redemption within this. Because he says... If you just do what's right, won't you be accepted? Isn't that, isn't that easy? That's not hard, Cain. You, do, you know what you need to do. Just do what's good. Isn't that so easy to say? Just do the right thing. And yet we know and we see when we experience how many people so often just don't do the right thing. And we ask, Why? Why did you do that? Just do the right thing. And that won't happen. Why is something so simple so hard? And each and every one of us has been in that spot and a point in our life as well. We knew it was wrong. And we did it anyway. Why was it so hard? It's because I want it my way. I want to define what's right and what's wrong. I don't want to feel bad about what I'm doing. It was inconvenient. It was my due. I was owed it. 
belong to me, my precious. <laughs> Desire for something we don't deserve, but we've convinced ourselves we do. And you must rule over this. You must rule over this desire. That is God's warning to Cain. It's crouching at the door. It is ever waiting. It does not sleep and it, it never is satisfied. Its desire for you will always be there. You cannot be passive about it. You cannot assume everything will go okay. You must be on guard, vigilant. First Peter 5, in verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. To devour something. It's to consume to destroy, to kill, to end you. You must rule over it or it will rule you. There's no middle ground. There's no, if I'm just, if I hold still just enough, I can wait right here till Jesus comes back. And I mean, I can do the leg cramp and we'll be okay. No, there is no middle space. Either you will rule over it or it will rule over you. James 4, 1 through 10 says, What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's the idea of stop trying to do all this yourself. Stop trying to have your heaven on earth in your own way. Let God exalt you. Let God guide you. Humble yourself before him and watch what he does with your life. What you thought was joy will pale in joy. What you thought was abundance will pale in abundance because it will be a fresh spirit within you. It'll be a new heart within you to know God and what he loves and desires for you. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? 
then this is a mirror of what we just saw in Genesis 3. It's the same opportunity. As if God doesn't know. Adam, where are you? As if he doesn't know. It's an opportunity for us to repent, to confess, to acknowledge the wrong and turn and return to the Lord. But what happens? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You cannot hide from God. The Psalm 139, 1 through 6, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know where I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in from behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God is not fooled. God is not otherwise occupied. And if you consider the things in your life that you would not do if someone was watching, I assure you, someone is. And keep that in mind, because I think there are many times in our life that we are in that moment, and it's like, well, no one's around. Yes, there is. And you will meet him, and he will bring to account every careless word and deed. God is always with us, and he knows us intimately. Before we even know it, he already knows. And we can't try to reason, you, you cannot try to reason with evil and the corruptness, and this asking of why. why. Why did you kill Abel? What did he do to you? Nowhere in this account does it says, say Abel was a brat, and Abel was a pest, and Abel told on Cain, and, or Abel did something in some way that made Cain fail. It doesn't say any of that. It just said Abel did what was right. That's why Cain killed him. Because Abel did what was right. It made Cain look bad. And then they went and had a chat. And just imagine that conversation for a moment. Abel, you made me look bad in front of God. I just did the right thing, Cain. If you just do the right thing, you'd be fine. Oh, you think you're better than me now. You think you're so much better than me, do you, Abel? And he killed him. There's nothing new. It's nothing new under the sun. And this is what we see as the way of Cain. That, that language comes from Jude, verses 10 through 11. Jude has but one chapter, so they don't even put a one on there. But these, blas these people blaspheme all they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. God says his law is written on our hearts. We know right from wrong as God has put it upon every single one of us. And that is what we are destroyed by. That is what Cain is going to be destroyed by. And all people 
that do not turn to the Lord are destroyed by. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. This is the way of Cain, to somehow abandon God's call in your life, the truth that you know instinctively, and somehow thinking it will give you gain. Somehow evil will turn for my good. This is the way of Cain. My gain at your expense. Somehow this will be best in the end. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Why is everyone against me? This isn't fair, Lord. Behold, you have given me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Any remorse at all? Any repentance? God, I mean, it wasn't that bad. He's just the worthless one. I'm the chosen one. How could you, how could you do this to me, God? Does that not sound at all familiar to anything we've ever heard? Life is so unfair to me. Can you believe this is happening to me right now? Yes. Yes, I can. The Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. I don't see this so much as a protection of Cain as God saying, I don't want anybody to keep killing each other. God doesn't enjoy the death of man. And it is a great evil to take the life of another. And God doesn't want this to continue to perpetuate, even in the name of vengeance, in the name of justice. No. This is an opportunity for repentance to occur, for you to return to the Lord. So I'm going to make sure that nobody thinks that this is going to be all right. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So first, I want to hit on what is the nature and the purpose of a curse? Because God actually has cursed a whole bunch in a very short period of time here. And there will be a lot of different curses and things that are throughout the biblical account. And so what's the point of doing that? Why would God do that? Why doesn't God just smite people? Why doesn't he just strike them down? You killed someone? Now you are dead. Wouldn't that be just more efficient? And more fear inspiring? Because think about that. If you do that and you see literally the lightning bolt or the consuming in flames, and you might think twice about doing it if that was what was going on. So why doesn't that happen? Why instead is it a curse that seems to perpetuate more pain and suffering? One allows you to live 
and learn and return. And the other does not. If we'll notice the nature of the curses God bestows on people, they tend to increasingly get worse and worse the longer you keep the stiff neck and the forehead of iron. And I'm going to do it my way. They get worse and worse and worse the longer you stand in that. I encourage you to go read out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus when it talks about the blessings and the curse and how wonderful things will be if you simply listen to God. And how terrible and increasingly terrible they will be if you deny him to his face and you continue to go your own way and you blaspheme him over and over again and you refuse to learn. It gets worse and worse and worse. Always with the desire of restoration and repentance. When we read out of Deuteronomy 30, it says, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, which is ironic, it's very forthtelling right there. And when these things happen, not if, it's going to happen. You're going to do good for a while. You're going to be blessed. And then you're going to all of a sudden think, it's me. I'm the blessing. I'm the amazing and wonderful one. This is all because of my own hands. And there's the pride. And you exalted yourself. And so God is forced to humble. And then we have the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God and you and your children and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart, with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you and he will gather you again from all the people where the Lord your God has scattered you. The point is to draw people back. And if you just kill them, that cannot happen. If you just strike them down, if you just cast them out and never have anything to do with them again, how can they return? We read last week out of Ezekiel that God does not take pleasure in the death of anyone, but fully desires that everyone should have life. And this is the opportunity that all might return. So we see this. Is there, is there repentance of Cain? No. Only a selfish outcry of it not being fair. Is there any grace of God? Abundantly so. Cain, I'm going to let you live. I'm going to let you live in the hopes of your return. And we have some interesting things. We have Cain's wife. Where did she come from? Did I ever strike anybody else? Who are you? <laughs> there are different theories about that. Some of the theories are that Adam and Eve had been having a bunch of kids and they just kind of focused in on the Cain and Abel story for this, but others had already started to spread around. Perhaps one of them had already grown up and married Cain. Another theory is that, well, they're going to continue to have kids after this and one of them, they live a very long time. One of them is going to grow up and eventually be interested in what Cain's doing. Because then we see Cain builds a city. You don't build a city by yourself. You can build a home. You can build a bunch of empty shacks. But you don't build the idea of what a city is by yourself. Meaning people are attracted to what Cain is doing. And Cain's way of life. And Cain's perspective. This is actually the story of the entire Bible. 
and the increasing corruption on the earth and how it gets worse and worse and worse. When we read through scripture, we should not read it as this idea of like, most people were righteous and listening to God and there was like a few bad kings. That's not the story. It's always a righteous remnant. It's always a few. Narrow is the gate and few find it. It's, it's never an abundance of people because most people like what Cain's offering. My way on earth. Power, strength, might, dominion. I will define what is good and evil. And they flock to him. And it grows. And it grows and it grows and it grows. To Enoch was born Irad. This is going to be an account of Cain's lineage. And Irad fathered Mahuhalel. And Mahuhalel fathered Methushalel. And Methushalel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah. And the name of the other, Zillah. Adah bore Jabal, who was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brothers, was, his brother's name was Jubal. Jabal and Jubal. That wouldn't get confusing at all. He was the father of all who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Why even say this? Why is this here? Why go through the account of this? None of these people are, or any of their descendants are going to survive. We're going to talk about the flood in a couple weeks. They're all going to go. Why even mention them? because of what they bring. It's something that we should realize that even those that don't walk with God are still images of God. They still bring value to humanity. They're simply lost and need to be found and need to return. We shouldn't discount them as worthless or lesser humans. They still have something to bring. Everybody right now is enjoying the fact that two of these brothers existed because you're sitting in a chair and you need animal husbandry and you need metalworking for this to happen. And if they didn't do what they did and share the knowledge they had, we wouldn't have that in the way that we do. They still bring value. They simply need to return. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy sevenfold. Not only are we deprived, we are exalting in our depravity. What was a curse, I'm now taking as my blessing. I will do this my way, and if you but hurt me, I will kill you. Exaltation in depravity. Out of Romans 1, 28 through 32, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. They're coming up with more things to do. 
disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It's not even so much that they're doing them, but they're trying to get others to do them as well. Why? So I can feel good about what I do. I'm not the only one doing it. I'm not the bad guy. You're all just like me. You're not any better than me. Exaltation in the depravity. And so, what do we do then? Look around at your world. Do you see exaltation and depravity? Absolutely. So what do we do? That's a fair question. What do we do? There's so much awful and terrible depravity going on in our day and age. What do we do? First of all, realize it's not new. It's not novel. It's not suddenly the day and age we live in and can you believe this? Yeah, I can believe it. It's been going on since the beginning. So what do we do? Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed to me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and his name was called Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What do you do? You pray. You seek the face of God. You return to the Lord. We're told to pray for kings, for rulers, to governors, people in high places, that we may live quiet and peaceful lives. We pray. We seek the face of God. You let your light shine before men that your Father in heaven may be glorified by your good deeds. You continue doing good. You continue doing what is righteous. You continue honoring the Lord and seeking his face and letting that example out to the world shine forth. Do we agree with what they've done? By no means. Do we tell them that it's okay for them to do it? By no means. Do we declare it as acceptable? By no means. We do not take part. We do not encourage. We do not condone. But we win people to the Lord by love, not shouting matches. Amen. How do we encounter our enemies? You give them a drink. You give them something to eat. You keep them warm. That they may be ashamed when they revile against you. We show them that there is no truth to their words and that your light will go forth because of your good deeds, but not responding in kind. You will not defeat evil with more evil. We overcome evil with good. Out of Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 through 20, it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life 
that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Every day we get to choose who we will exalt. Will we exalt the Lord? Or will we exalt ourselves and our own desires, preferences, opinions, wants, feelings? God, this isn't the way I want it to be. I look around and this just isn't, I don't think this is what you want. I know for certainly it's not what I want. Lord, what do I do? Continue exalting the Lord. Continue choosing life. That you may live and live abundantly before God. Amen.